Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Y'all all right? This morning, we need to, do we need to howl this morning? One, two, three. Beautiful. All right. All right. I'm happy to be with y'all. Can y'all hear me okay? I don't know how to act. We got a new sound system up in here, whatever, you know what I'm saying? And I'm usually, you know, usually sounds like, you know, like Charlie Brown or something, whatever, but you know, it's all crispy and clear. Um, this morning, we're going to be inside of um, James 1. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 4. Um, and so you can go ahead and turn there and stuff. We're going to be talking about trials and all that kind of fun stuff. But I'm going to tell y'all real quick before we start. I had an interesting week or whatever, right? But like, um, this isn't a real trial, but it was just one of those things like when something crazy happens to you and you just, you just be like, you got to laugh at yourself, right? Lois, I see you backed up in the building, sister. What's going on? All right, sorry about that. Anyway, now black folks be like, what up, girl? In, in the middle of funerals and all that. Listen, can y'all come up a little bit on this side? Can, y'all, can we come up a little bit? I know y'all hate moving. I know y'all hate when I do this. I just, I need to feel the energy this morning. Like Pastor Rodney said, like I, I, I feel like needy this morning. Like I need, I need y'all up here with me. I want us to like, you know what I'm saying, like feast on the Lord together this morning. So, but anyway, back to my story. So the other way, the other day this week or whatever, I was having a bad day, right? And you ever like have a bad day and then more stuff keeps happening, crazy stuff to you? So I pull up to the church. I'm about to go inside of the office to work on the sermon. So all these people in the parking lot, I jump out of my car and I realize I'm like, oh great, you know, I got a LaCroix in the car I could take and then put in the refrigerator. Cause y'all know I love LaCroix cause it's one of the best drinks on earth. Anyway, it tastes like battery acid, but I still love it, right? So I go to grab it and one of my kids have left a chocolate bar like, like sitting in the little cup thing and so it's down the side. So I'm walking with the LaCroix chilling like I got a LaCroix and it's just like chocolate dripping. And so then I just see it and I'm just like mad. There's nowhere to clean my hand at all. So like, you know, I did one of those deals where you try to like just rub it in like lotion until it disappears. Cause there's nowhere, there's nothing or whatever to do. Like I try to hit some bark. So boom, I get some of the chocolate off. I get into the building. I'm carrying all of this stuff. I got another LaCroix with me, right? Maybe the Lord's trying to tell me something. Anyway, I got another LaCroix with me. I get to the office door and I'm carrying all of this stuff and I drop the LaCroix. When I drop it, it starts spraying everywhere. And it's like spraying, spraying. So it's spraying all over me, right? It's really like comical. So I go to grab it, then it starts spinning, like away from me. Like, you know, to the, like, it's just like the joints is like, and I'm down here, I got all this stuff. And then I had to back off of it and look down the hallway to see if anybody was seeing this thing or whatever. And I went in the office and put my stuff up, came back out, it was still spinning. Then I had to get a mop and like clean the whole floor. It was rough, man. I just wanted to give y'all some of my pain this morning. I know y'all like, what are you telling us that story for? I'm, I'm still hurt from it. Still, I went in the office and just sat and stared at the wall like, do you even like me? Like, what's, where are you at? Why, why have you forsaken me, like for real? So anyway, y'all ready to get into it? All right, praise the Lord. All right, I'm gonna move kind of quick. James 1, 1 through 4, right? Let me read this to you and then we're gonna dig in. So it says, James, a servant of God 
and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let, stead and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's our text for today. I want to give you a little bit of context as we jump into this word right here, right? So first of all, when he says um, the 12 tribes and the dispersion, whatever, he's pretty much talking about Jews, right? James is talking about, he's talking about the Jews who have been dispersed abroad. And the thing about them being dispersed abroad is that these are people who they are now um, experience, um, they're outside of their community and, and they're experiencing oppression um, economically, socially. As we go deeper through James and we work through this series, you're going to see how he addresses some of these things or whatever, right? And so you start to get the sense like, okay, he's speaking to some real issues, like these people are going through things. But the thing about it is that this is, this is, this is New Testament. So when we talk about, normally when we talk about Jews and we talk about the Old Testament, we're not always talking about Jews that believe in a Messiah, right? But he actually proclaims that, you know, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sometimes what you see inside of the scriptures is when you see these references, if it's after like the preaching of, of, of Gentiles being grafted in, sometimes when people would even say Jews in the Bible, they would sometimes speak, be speaking kind of casually as a whole, meaning kind of everybody, right? But nevertheless, he's speaking to these people who are actually dispersed, and, and that's kind of the context of this scripture. These are actually people who believe in Jesus Christ. And what I think is amazing, too, is that James is the brother of Jesus. That just makes the whole text do a different thing for me or whatever, right? So I think having a context on the word we're studying is a really, really big deal, right? So the children of God, and this is the thing he says to them. I'm just going to break this whole text down, you know, um, Pastor Rodney Pitt picked this scripture right here, whatever, and he, he, he made it real slim. He's like, homie, I'm going to give you a slither of a scripture. You make it work, all right? So we're going to make it work this morning, all right? So it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, right? So that sounds really cute. Sounds like something you want to put on like a Hallmark card, right? Count it all joy. But I don't know about you, I don't like meeting trials or whatever. I don't like soda cans falling on the floor, spraying in my face, and, 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 and Mr. Goodbar's dripping out my hand when I'm trying to go, you know, give me a fresh LaCroix. I don't like going through things or whatever, right? But he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so when he says count it all joy, he's talking about this idea of taking an assessment of your situation, even if it's hard, in light of something bigger, right? In light of something else. It seems illogical, right? It's not the American way. It's not the way that we do things. We don't actually, like, we don't steer our decisions based off of having joy and going through trials. Most of us, like, we, we go, oh, that neighborhood has some crazy stuff going on. It's kind of wild over there. I'll make sure I move over this way, right? We don't go into poor areas. We don't go into stuff that's going to be hard. We don't like messing with people who are problematic. I don't know about you or whatever, like, you ever, like, meet somebody or whatever, and you, like, you talk to them, and they got, like, crazy issues, and you be like, cool, cool, all right, I won't be hooking up with you. <laughs> you get where I'm coming from? Because, like, in your mind, you're thinking to you, like, we're going to be real about our flesh. That's our sin nature. We're selfish like that, and we're not running to any, any fires at all, right? Because it's, it'll cost us something. Like, if, yo, like, dag, I'm going to have to drive you around help you struggling with, oh my God, you already told me that, you know, 
You don't have nothing. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna have to give something to mine, right? Like we, we avoid trials. Like we seek comfort. It's just the way we navigate them, right? Or we manage our trials based on what we think we can conquer in our own strength, right? Like we accept some trials, but it's because we like feel that we could actually like, we could manage it or whatever. Like we take on something where it's like, okay, I done did the math, I can manage this thing. It doesn't require this faith of like dealing with God or whatever, right? So like we could take it on, we could actually kill it, and then you know what we're gonna do next? We go on to Facebook with it. And we're gonna let everybody know we're more than conquerors and we're overcomers, right? Meanwhile, we're going to be hiding from what God is actually calling us to do. So sometimes we manage dealing with hard things that way, right? But James isn't talking about those kind of trials. He's talking about trials that literally rattle your faith, right? You ever been through a situation that's so hard that it makes you look at God and be like, I don't know if I, I know you anymore. Like, I don't know if you're safe anymore. You ever been there before? Like, like, I didn't hit a couple of them. It's like, well, you're just kind of overwhelmed and confounded, and you're like, I mean, I knew you weren't safe, but I didn't know you were dangerous. Like, my life is in jeopardy in this one. This could cost me, I could lose everything on this one. You get where I'm coming from? You ever been there? Yeah. It's the kind of trials he's talking about. He's not talking about the cute stuff, the stuff we can manage. He's talking about the stuff that puts you face to face with your worst fears, right? Having conversations with people that are gut-wrenching to your stomach where you're like, I, I can't do this. I can't sacrifice this. I can't go there, right? That's what he's talking about. James is talking about trials that bring you to a broken, a broken bridge in your road where crossing is only possible with the help of God, where you actually need supernatural, king of kings, lord of lords, wind beneath your wings power, right? That's what he's talking about. I think it's important for that to be clear. So he's talking about that kind of gut-wrenching stuff, and then the text says, count your meetings with such trials as joy, right? Unless God has graced you to grasp the weightiness of who he is and therefore who you are as his child, you simply can't do this type of counting James is referring to. You don't have a way to, to, to quantify that, right? Like count it joy when you meet trials that literally feel like they're going to destroy you. Sounds cute. Hard to do. It's clear that it's not an endeavor of the flesh but it's the dying of the flesh that he's actually asking for, right? He's saying that to put God's will over yours, his purpose for your life over yours, his preference over yours, his path over yours, his pain over your comfort, right? It's like what Paul tells Timothy when he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. He's talking to him as a believer. He's not telling him some kind of somber kind of thing or whatever, like to make him feel bad. He's saying like, this is who we are. We're proud to be this. Brother, be a strong soldier. Every soldier says, homie, do your thing out on that battlefield. They mean they're going to war. But they've accepted this idea that their identity is that we are warriors, right? So that's what James is saying. Count it all joy, my brothers, 
when you meet trials of various kinds. But you have to think to yourself, we're not talking about just any old type of trials. We're talking about the ones that make you tremble, that put you in this bind where you have nothing to offer this situation and only God can save you in the midst of it. It also means that the kind of person that counts stuff like that as joy is a particular kind of person. They're a believer and follower of Christ. So one of the things I want to get into this morning in this text is I want to kind of work through some of the things that I think are embodied inside of a believer or whatever. And I want to put it in front of you and I want you to kind of do some self-examination with it, right? For you to count trials as joy, you have to understand the sovereignty of God. God has to be really, really big to you, right? He has to be bigger than just being practical. Bigger than two plus two, you know what I'm saying, is four, right? But he has to be like a miracle worker because you're in a situation that you're undone in or whatever. You don't have any logical means to figure out how to get through this trial or to how to face another one, and you don't have the strength and you don't have the endurance to just keep pushing through them and taking these kind of hits or whatever. So like you're in this place where you actually need God to save you, and so you're not gonna call on him if you actually, if he doesn't have credibility to be that big, right? You understand what I'm talking about? I don't know if any of y'all had like a big brother or like a big homie when you were younger, but like I was a, a small little kid, right? So I had some homies. So cats were talking crazy. I'd be like, oh, word, word. Oh, you gonna do what? True. And I'd be like, yo, you talking trash. I'm going to get my big brother. You get where I'm coming from? Because for me, I'm like big brother, he's sovereign in the situation. Whatever, whatever they're talking about over here, he's bigger than that situation. You get where I'm coming from? It's the same when we talk about the sovereignty and the bigness of God. If you don't see God big, you ain't going to call him, right? So you have to understand the sovereignty of God. It has to mean something to you. He has to be El Shaddai, like almighty, supreme, mighty counselor, king of kings, creator of heaven and earth. You have to find yourself where you're like, listen, I don't got it, but I'll... I'm a child of the king of kings. He got it. It's nothing he can't face. He's sovereign over all. So none of these circumstances the enemy can pitch at me, they don't, they don't rule me, right? It's just kind of boldness you get to walk in. I get to count them when they're coming, right? It's that God is bigger than it all. His, his word is the only word, and he always has the last word. John 6 says this right here in verse 60. I want to read this to you because I think this is a beautiful picture of it. it. says, this is when Jesus was, you know, talking to the crowds or whatever, and he was preaching some things or whatever that was a little too hard for them to hear, and everybody started, all his disciples started dipping out on him, right? And he says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who 
were, who, the, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So I want you to catch this part right here. I want you to hear the context of the conversation. But he says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter, what he is essentially saying there is, nothing exists outside of you, right? Like he's saying like, Lord, you are actually life to me. You are sovereign, you are big, you are where it's at, and if I'm not here with you in proximity, then I'm just lost. I'm just, I'm just, I'm in the valley of death without you on my own, right? It's how, this is how you walk your walk out every day or whatever. Like, you can't call these trials joy if God is not big for you. If you have somewhere else to go, you definitely will go there to escape it, Right? I don't know about you, but me back in the day, whenever I dealt with things that were really hard for me, I, I went to the bottle every day, every single day. I don't need no counselor to tell me what I was doing. I was fully aware of what I was doing. I do not want to look at tomorrow, so I'm going to make tomorrow disappear. That was it. It was, it, it was how I responded. That was what was sovereign over these things. You get where I'm coming from? I had somewhere else to go. I went to the bottle or I went to a blunt, or I went to whatever it was that I could feed that thing with, but I didn't, God was small to me, so he just wasn't one of the people I called on the phone. You get where I'm coming from? Yesterday I was at, um, I was at this juvenile facility talking to these kids, and one of the kids that were there, whatever, like, you know, sometimes you go talk to these groups and you, and, and, and you, you just have certain kids in the room you connect with, right? And so I was talking to this one boy afterwards or whatever, and he, he came up to me, he's like, Dag, man, he's like, he's like, man, you, you, your message really hit me in the heart. And so, you know, I started talking to, you know, him about the gospel and everything else. But like everything that I said to him, he, he couldn't hear it. It couldn't land for him because he was like, I got this against me, this against me, that against me that against me, and, and, and it was true. I, 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 I grieved for a situation because there was a lot of heartache and there was a lot of brokenness there, but the fact of the matter is it was like all of it had full control. Like God wasn't big at all. And it's okay because that's what we were there for, to work towards it, right? But nevertheless, that was the condition. God wasn't, it's not big. There's no room for God to actually stand over and be boss over it. Because God, if God is boss over it, it means it pulls it out of your hands and now there's hope, right? Sometimes what's easier for you to believe in your, in, in, in your hard-heartedness and in our brokenness, what's easier to believe to, than practical answers is actually a supernatural, powerful God, right? Because I don't know about you, sometimes when I put all the practical data on the table, nothing seems to come together. And I'm like, yeah, God, I need you to actually do what I call a miracle. I need you to do something that's beyond my logic and my understanding, right? 
So God has to be sovereign to even make an ask like that. Another thing is that you have to have the hope of the cross. Person who's gonna count their trials as joy, you have to understand the hope of the cross, the eternal promise of God through Christ Jesus, right? What does that look like right there? Like, 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 what am I gonna count it as joy for? Like, what's the object of it all? Like, why should I have hope in this situation? It's the promises that we as believers are intimate with, that we actually find ourselves in relationship with Christ Jesus every single day, whatever, needing him. Like Pastor Rodney just said, like, I don't know how you showed up, but I showed up needing, right? Like, I need Jesus this morning. I need Jesus. I'm not good out here on my own, right? I'm not good out here on my own. The hope of the cross, the eternal promise of God, that's one of the things that, like, why do we push through? When, when Paul tells Timothy and he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ, for what, Paul? What? For what? Because what awaits us on the other side of this suffering is eternity with our Lord and Savior, where we rule and reign with him where no eye has seen and no ear has heard what he has waiting for us. When the earth groans and the blood cries out for the ground, what we're looking forward to is that one day all of this stuff we see on the news, the media, all of this brokenness, this injustice, our Father's coming to make it all right. Right? The earth is groaning. The blood is crying out, and one day he's going to answer. Right? That's how I deal with some of the devastating hardships, brokenness that fall on my lap and I'm sure fall on yours. People committing suicide, like it feels like a horror story in life sometimes. I get scared to pick up the phone because I'm like the next phone, I'm sick, I can't take none of these no more. You get where I'm coming from? But on the flip side of it, it makes this thing taste even more, the gospel, the good news. Because I know, I, know I know that my father's in heaven, he's actually looking at it, and he's grieving it too, and he's like, oh, we, we sharpening swords up here, we coming. It's going to be all right. You get where I'm coming from? There's a hope. Not counting the joy unless this hope is real for me. Why would I? Even Paul says, yo, if the resurrection, if the resurrection ain't real, if all this gospel stuff is fake, Paul says, pop bottles and get down. I'm going to get down if the gospel ain't real. I don't know about you. All right, y'all sit there and be cute. All right. Anyway, let's talk depravity. You got to understand depravity. Let me, let me read the definition of depravity. It's the in, innate corruption of human nature due to original sin. It's moral corruption. It's wickedness. Let me tell you why this is important here. First of all, the cross I just preached about, you don't even know that cross if you have not first become intimate with the idea of your depravity. If you don't understand the depths of your sin and how your sin separates you from God and puts you in his wrath, how can you appreciate the cross? How can you appreciate his sovereignty? How can you actually appreciate his plan? It doesn't land at all, right? Unless you're just a sucker for pain. I don't, I don't like pain. 
But like when we talk about our depravity and this thing where like we have this, this relationship with the Lord. Paul says this in Romans 7, verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am. Who, do, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So let me put that into, to, 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 you know what I'm saying, to a bit of understanding. Like, just imagine yourself like in, in Jonah's shoes, Right? You, you, you chilling, you inside of, you know what I'm saying, Shamu, right? Chilling, bottom of the ocean, right? No, who comes back from that? It's hopeless, right? There is no coming out of that. That, that, that text shows us like the depths of despair of our sin, like it gives us a slight glance. It doesn't do justice for what it is to be separated from God for eternity, but it gives you this idea of being separated from God in a place that is absolutely void of hope, right? And then Jonah prays. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into the text in a minute or whatever, but like Jonah prays or whatever, and then God has the well spit him up on the shore. I tell you that so you can actually take that and liken the condition of being lost in your sin without a savior and standing next to it. That's what our depravity is. It's us lost in our sin, controlled by our sin. So when Paul makes this statement, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He is rejoicing. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's reveling in the fact that God is actually his savior. Paul doesn't assume that he's just a good man with a couple mistakes. He says, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Like, I don't know about you, right? But like, I need like Jesus every day, right? I need him every single day. But let me tell you what I mean when I say that, because it could sound like a boast, like, man, you must be good. You need Jesus every day. No, I actually need Jesus every day to actually make it home to my wife every day. I love my kids with all my heart, but I'm still wretched enough to actually desert them for something else. Maybe that bothers you. Maybe you hear that and you go, oh, Jay, I would hope that you're better than that. No, I'm not. Wretched man that I am. I'm not. Sorry to disappoint you. I actually need Jesus like minute by minute, day by day. If I don't have them, things are going to get destroyed. The truth is the, it's the same for you. Maybe you don't know it yet, but if you believe this word of God, that's what it clearly takes, uh, states in the scripture. That's what Paul, who the patriarch who he loves so much, but maybe don't want to actually share in what he's saying, but that's what he's actually saying. He's saying, wretched man that I am. I am trapped in this body of death. But thank you to God, because he's the only person that can save me. I can't save me. And so I don't know about you. If you save me, when I'm on the bottom of the ocean with no hope, tell me what you need me to do. I'm there. You get where I'm coming from? Yo, I need you to scrub this whole building, paint it from head to toe. True indeed. I'm going to count that all joy. 
because I'm not even supposed to be here. You get where I'm coming from? You see how your depravity plays into your thankfulness and your gratefulness? And how you actually, how you actually move and groove with the cross, how the cross lands on you? Either you tell yourself sweet lies about how awesome you are every day, or either you actually walk in the light, like 1 John tells us to do, and let you walk in and say, God, I'm a sinner. I sinned today, I sinned in the past, your boy is a mess. God, I need you. I need the blood of Jesus to keep washing my sin. God, I need you so I can be alive so it can hurt when I hurt people. I need it to hurt when I hurt people. I need to, I want to bear the fruit of being able to apologize to people because I'm like, Dag, I said that thing to you. And you may have not caught it, but it actually hurt me because the spirit of God is actually living inside of me. You understand what I'm talking about? It puts you in a place to count your trials as joy because it puts you in the center of God's purpose, his sovereign purpose he has for your life. It's where you trade in your will for his will. It's where you trade in your path for his path. It's where you actually give credibility to this scripture right here, and all of a sudden trials actually become something that is actually beneficial because God says they are, as we're going to see in this text, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So I, I'm, 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 as we go forward, I'm going to ask you to let that weigh on you a little bit. How do you interact with Christ? How does your depravity fit into that relationship? How does God's sovereignty, his power to save and sustain fit into your walk every day? How does the uh, intimate relationship with the cross fit for you? Verse three says this right here, it says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So this is where we look at it like God actually has a plan for the testing of your faith. And he tests it by putting you in trials and situations to produce steadfastness, right? Let me read what faith is for you it's in Hebrews 11. It says, now faith is the assurance, some verses, some texts say, say evidence, of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Oh, excuse me, some verses say, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I did a little remix on that, sorry. Anyway. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? It is actually the works that come out of your faith, the trust, like what it actually looks at, looks like because of we, we serve a God that we actually can't see, right? We serve a God that we actually can't see, but like there's a hope that you actually have that drives what you do, right? So like if I watch you and I watch what moves and grooves you every single day, I could be like, yeah, they, they believe in the Lord. Well, like, how do you, did you see the Lord? No, I didn't actually see him. But like, what's driving them and compelling them is the Lord. What we read about in this scripture right here, I could see that it has grabbed a hold of them and it moves them forward, right? It's your faith. But then these trials step in to test that faith. Oh, you, oh, you love the Lord, do you? That's what I was talking about earlier. Like, if you ask me, I'm like, yeah, I love the Lord, man. 
But then there's times or whatever you find me rocking back and forth in the corner when some stuff comes up and I'm like, I don't know anymore. You get broken, right? Y'all know what that's like? You been there before? But the word of God says it's for your good. Some of us put all of our energy into dodging trials and hardships. Right? We actually quantify whether God is actually a good God based on the kind of stuff he brings our way. Like he, like, like he literally, he'll lose all credibility if we end up with something that is actually too hard for us. And all of a sudden we yank him down like he's, like he's not who he says he is. And it's based on our flesh. We quantify him out after the longings and desires of our flesh for ease and comfort. It's wicked. We, we all do it. We all have done it. But it's a wicked endeavor indeed because it's completely anti-scripture. The testing of your faith actually produces steadfastness. I hope you hear that and you feel encouraged by that because that means that when things come up, it's not something for you to cower and just run from or to actually just speculate against God. And that happens. Sometimes it's a part of the process of finding God where you're like, God, I, I, whatever I thought of you, I need that to, 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 to grow some. Like, 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 you done brought me through some things, but like this thing is a new type of thing, and God, I need to, I need to see you from a new perspective. I need to, I was saying holy from this angle, I need to see you from over here, like, oh, okay, I serve a big, big God. He has this, right? I need to have the kind of trust where I lay it in his, his, before his feet and say, God, I don't know what to do with it, but I know you know what to do with it, because you're sovereign and I trust you, right? And I was dead in my sin. I was, I was lost in was, the depravity. Just, just, it swallowed me or whatever. And I was just separated from you. But, like, you saved me. And you done brought me from the dead. So I know you can do anything. And you had your son Jesus down the cross for my sins. If you can bring me from my dead state of being, then I know you can handle this, right? The testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. But it's our thing. It's our thing to dip and dive and move around that. And what's such a tragedy in America is that we've actually put that dipping and diving on the face of Christianity and made it our thing. Comfort. Ease means that God has favor on us and loves us. Doing really well, Lord loves me. Everything I touch just keeps prospering, 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 prospering. And man, that's a blessing. That does not give the check mark that God is for you. Right? The Bible says, what does it profit for a person to gain the world and lose their own soul? And it's not that gain is sin, but gain is not a mark that says that God actually loves you and is for you. There are people who are giving their life serving overseas, serving in communities, and they've turned their back on whether their house is going to get equity or not, and they've said, I don't care to all of those things to serve the people that they give their life to. Right? There's people who are in the immigration fight right now who have moved their homes right next to all of the craziness or whatever to be there to serve people and help families and do what they need to do. And it's like, nobody's going to cut them a paycheck for that. People would say you're poor. 
what are you doing? That's not a good financial decision. Let's, let's look at, uh, let's read about Jonah real quick. I'm just, I'm going to read the prayer that Jonah prayed in his distress because I feel like there's a lot that's actually there, right? Um, if you don't know the story of Jonah, so God comes to Jonah. He tells Jonah, he says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to this city called Nineveh. Nineveh was a very, very wicked city, a whole lot of evil going on, and God was grieved by their sin, right? Kind of like how he was grieved with Sodom and Gomorrah. Like he looked at the city's sin, and he was just like, I'm not feeling it, right? And so God tells Jonah, he says, I want you to go talk to him. I want you to declare to him that I'm going to destroy this city if they don't repent for their sin. Jonah is like, Lord, you must be crazy. I'm not going. Jonah jumps on the boat with some of his homeboys or whatever, and he's like, I'm going to get up out of Dodge, right? Sorry I'm making this into my J story, the way I say it or whatever. Anyway, y'all keep up with me. If you read in the Bible later, it's a little bit different. But anyway, still the same story, though. But so he jumps on the boat, and when he's on the boat, a storm comes, and all the people realize, they're like, yo, homie, you're running from God. And they're like, we're all going to die. So they're like, you know, they did the, you know, the thing you would do. Throw Jonah over the edge. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? So they take Jonah, they throw him over, he gets eaten by a well. And Jonah, in the midst of that situation, he says this prayer right here when he's in the belly of the well. All right, so I just want to read this to you. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds are wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Listen to verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. For I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is running away from a trial, right? God puts up, he puts, he, he puts a task before him. And like I said before, it's one of those ones that makes you sick to your stomach. For Jonah, it was gut-wrenching. It was so gut-wrenching, as crazy as it sounds, he deems that he can actually run away from God, the creator of the universe somehow, right? So he takes off running. But even in that, the faithfulness of God that's displayed to Jonah is this. And some of you, this will land home because you know who you are and you know whether or not you spend your life dodging trials or if you actually always deal with the challenge running away from God. And Jonah did that. We've all done that before. But even in the midst of this, God is even redeeming his running away. God is even still faithful to him in the midst of him running, right? 
He's still having relationship. That's, this is why God actually allows for us to have these trials and for our faith to be tested to actually draw us into relationship and need with them. He's saving us from ourselves, right? In Galatians, it says that, the, it says that the, the spirit wars against the flesh to keep us from doing what we want to do. To keep us from doing what we want to do. Right? This is where the depravity part comes into play. Like, like this, what I'm talking to you is not, hey, keep the faith and stay strong. You don't have the faith to keep. It's a gift from God by his mercy and grace. Hold on to his son, Jesus. Believe. Right? Believe. We're not, we're not good. Our innate quality is not goodness and righteousness. Simply not. We're like Jonah. It's, it's in us to just run. And God in his faithfulness puts us in these tests that save us from self-salvation. They save us from the idolatry of our smartness and the way we can maneuver problems and problem solving and be so quick and witty on it, playing at, in the kiddie pool is what it really is, right? I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I know, I'm, look, I, I wanna be an intellectual like anybody else, right? I wanna be sharp, witty, and all that stuff. And by the way, my wife last week called me an intellectual. First time, seven years we've been married. I'm sorry to interrupt this, but it almost made me cry. Dead serious. She called me intellectual. I was like, who are you talking to, woman? Did you say that to me? Like, and she said it. She called me intellectual. But anyway, I want to be an intellectual. I want to have some answers. I want to be able to figure them out on my own. I want to be able to put me on the front of Ink Magazine. It's got all the answers. But I just simply don't. But I'm foolish enough to think that I do. I'm, 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 I'm foolish enough to build my life around what I can manage so I can feel like the king and the boss of it, right? But these trials he's talking about, they leave you undone. And God's faithfulness to us. When Jesus died on the cross, one of the things that he was securing for you was saving you from yourself. Wiping away your sins and saving you from yourself on a daily basis. That's why your depravity and your need on a daily basis is so important or whatever, so you don't live this pitiful life that's just built off of just worldly, fleshly muscles, right? But something where God supernaturally has to step in the story and just save you. Like, we don't have no answers. We're confounded, Lord. I'm in the, be I'm, I'm, I'm in the belly of the beast right now. On the bottom of the ocean. He puts you there so you can find intimacy. He will take you that far to the depths to get with you. Some people, you know, people always joke about jailhouse religion and how people end up in jail and then they end up finding God. It's the belly of the beast. He says it in scripture right here, the bar's closed on me. Some God will shut down everything around you to put you in a jam, to make you into a worm where you got no arms to fight back and push back so he can take over, so you can be with them, so you can know them, so you can enjoy them. Verse 8, he says this. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope 
of steadfast love. Every time that we choose an idol instead of stepping into that hard thing that God actually has called us to, we are missing out on seeing the majestic power of God work. We are forsaking experiencing his steadfast love, right? We all love to talk to believers that have been walking for a long time, that are seasoned, that have been through some things. We love it. We love it. We love it because we're like, man, they got grit. They got scars. I believe what they're saying because they've been through some things. And we esteem them. But the thing is, is that we actually want their glory, but we don't want their story. You get where I'm coming from? So, like, you know, you think about it, like, so Paul, when Paul is dealing with the super apostles, he's, he, he's arguing with these super apostles that are coming in and they're actually deceiving the believers and the children and followers of God, and they're coming through with all these promises and flashy things and everything else, and they're not preaching grace and mercy, they're preaching works, and they think they're all that, right? And they qualify themselves as being up here because of that, and then Paul has to come let them know what time it is real quick. And but listen how I'm gonna read it to you. It's not gonna be on the screen. I'm gonna read it to you, but listen what to what Paul uses to glorify God, right? You listen to what he uses. He doesn't use shiny things and empty promises and, and take the gospel and twist it. He throws out his hardships, the trials he's gone through, right? Second Corinthians eleven it says this. It says, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and day. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and day. I want a kid cutty. Anyway. Anyway. So it says, I was, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak, who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. And if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Do you hear that? I don't know, but like, I love reading this scripture. I like Paul a lot. I don't think I want none of this. I don't know about you. He's boasting in his weakness. He's boasting in his scars, right? He's boasting in things or whatever that like, he, he, he's actually glorifying God with trials and tribulations that would undo any person. He's not saying I got this. He, he's been put inside of these situations countless and countless and countless times. What he's defending right now is not just his credibility, but he's defending God's credibility. Right? 
not, I don't know the Lord because of what I, what I got. I know the Lord because I have been hit with waves and waves and waves and waves and tsunamis of hardship that will crush anybody. And I'm on my Elton John. I'm still standing. Right? If you don't know Elton John, then I'm still mad at you. But anyway, he's saying I'm still standing. He's saying I'm still standing. That's how I know the Lord. This is my credibility with them. When I was in all of these different things where I should be dead, where I should have died over and over and over and over again, God had purpose for it, that I could stand here and declare the truth, that I could preach Jesus to you, that I could tell you that I'm a wretch, yes, I'm actually completely covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? That I'm a wretch, like, like, like I'm not saved because I'm good. I'm not saved because my life is easy. I'm saved because the blood of Jesus has covered my sins and he's taken my wretched resume and gave me his holy resume. I'm saved because, I'm, I'm, I'm saved because yes, I have a million hardships and I shouldn't be here, but God just keeps on coming through. The King of Kings, the sovereign Lord of Lords who runs everything. My life is his, my life is in him. He lays my path and he finds fit for me to hit these trials. And the reason I'm still standing, the reason I, I declare him so boldly is because I, we, we grow more and more intimate through every hardship. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast, steadfastness. Steadfastness is the quality of being resolute or excuse me, firm and unwavering. I'm going to just skip the word, all right? Firmly fixed in place, immovable, right? Immovable. James 5.11 says this. It says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. When, Tim, when Paul tells Timothy, sharing good so, suffering as a soldier of Christ, he's saying to him, hey, brother, your suffering actually is a part of God's plan on how he's actually revealing himself, right? You are saved, and you are also inside of this plan where God glorifies himself and brings himself in community with other people around you, or actually just the light shines off of you, and people are actually drawn to it. But like if you play in the kiddie pool and you just do something you can manage, then it's like anybody who can pull up a chair next to you and be like, cool, I know how to do that too. I actually don't need Jesus. Do you understand where I'm coming from? It's what sets us apart. Our steadfastness is our resoluteness. I'm going way too long, but I just want to get this out to you all. If you'll just give me another minute. You, I don't, the other day I was playing catch with my son, and uh, so I was, you know, I was throwing the high balls up to him, whatever, and stuff, and I was like, man, get, get up under that thing. So he kept, you know, hit his glove or whatever, he'd go out and be afraid to get up under it, you know what I mean? Anybody who plays baseball or whatever, you know what I'm talking about. And so I stopped and I told him, I said, son, I said, this is what you have to do. I said, become resolute in the fact that you are not going to miss this ball, right? 
I said, decide right now that if you have to take the baseball to the face to catch it, so be it. I'm like, go ahead and chew on it for a minute. Process it and chew on it and get ready to catch the ball, right? It's the same thing when it comes to gospel and our faith. Like, when we walk with the Lord, we go, God, whatever you, like, like, like that's what Peter was saying. He said, God, I have nowhere else to go. Whatever you, like, your way is the way. You have the words of eternal life. Your paths are the ways of truth. So whatever you throw this way, I'm going to catch it. Because it's coming anyway, whether I'm in you or not. But I believe you're the only one that knows how to, that has the way to bring me through. You get where I'm coming from? You have to be steadfast. You have to pray and ask God to help you become steadfast. To take you through each trial one by one because with each trial you step into, God gets bigger to you. His sovereignty gets more larger. You start dreaming crazy. It's one thing to be a Christian and just be trying to survive and not just fall to pieces or whatever. It's another thing to be thriving. It's another thing where God's sovereignty gets so big where you start just pointing like, there's a lot of lost people over there. I'm going to go do something about it because I have the words of life. Who in the world do you think you are? A child of God. He's crazy big. He's crazy with me. He has my back. He put his son on the cross to save me. That's how much he loves me. Do you understand? This last text right here, verse 4, says this, and I'll wrap up. It says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness, when it's in full effect, makes you perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That's not to say that you are perfect and you never make mistakes. It's talking about the way you relate to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's talking about the fact that God is sovereign and big than everything. It means that it positions you in a walk where you don't actually believe that anything can actually consume you and overtake you. It doesn't mean that you don't never have fears, that you don't face trials, that you're actually afraid of. It just means that God is always above it. It's always who you run to. Do you get where I'm coming from? Like, that he has the credibility of being perfect in the midst of the storm. First Peter 1 says it like this, and then I'll end with this. It says, First Peter 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his, his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by, God's power are, who, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result, 
this is the object of our endurance, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These tests we go through put us in proximity with, the, with Christ, right? In the revelation of who he is, he gets bigger, sweeter, better. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you have believed in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And verse 9 tells us the outcome. It says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So church, I'm going to end with that, whatever, but I want to leave you encouraged in this, that don't run from your trials. Don't run from the test that God puts you through. If you find yourself undone, it doesn't mean that God hates you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. He actually is meaning for you to be caught up in a, a rock in a hard place that only he can actually fit in and work you out of because he wants that intimacy with you. He wants, that int- he wants the cross to be bigger and more beautiful to you, right? He wants you in a situation where, like, he's actually the hero for you and confidence in yourself is actually fading away, right? You begin to trust the Lord more, so... I love y'all. Let's pray really quick, and then we're going to worship, and we're going to take communion. Y'all can stand. Praise you, Father. Lord, we just give you thanks. We give you honor, Father, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy, Father. God, I ask that you would just, um, God, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, by Holy Spirit, Father, Lord, continue to um, draw us towards you. Pray, Father, Lord, that, um, that this word uh, will stay close to us, Father, Lord, that we um, wouldn't become undone every time something hard falls in front of us, Father, Lord. God, you, you know I do. I unravel at times and, and go crazy, and my, my natural thing is not to just go, oh, yeah, God has this or whatever, but I go, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Um, and, Lord, so I pray, Father, Lord, number one, that you would forgive me for that. I pray for people in our church that that's whoever, that's the cry of their heart as well, that forgive us for not trusting you, Father, Lord. But thank you for being faithful to us even in the midst of our doubt. Even when we run away from things like Jonah, you still are with us and you still even um, make that stuff redeemable, Father. Um, but, God, we don't, we don't want to be living on survival mode all the time. Father, we want to thrive and we want to trust you. We want to have faith in you. We want you to have the credibility that you deserve, Father Lord. Um, And this raggedy flesh is in a way that always wants its way. Um, And God, we, uh, so we ask that you, that you would um, overwhelm us, Father, that the that Holy Spirit would overwhelm our flesh, Father Lord, to save us from doing what we want to do. Um, and experiencing you as, as we want to, Father. So we thank you that we as your children can actually pray and ask for, for something like this, Father. Um, we thank you for saving us from the wretchedness of our sins. We thank you that you allow us to um, make it home to our families and, and to, to have friends and love them, Father Lord, and not betray the relationships, Father Lord. Um, we thank you for um, helping us care, like l- letting us care about how we treat people and, and, uh, and, and, and all of these things, Father Lord. We often don't recognize they're a gift from you and we attribute it to our own righteousness, Father Lord. But we thank you, Father. You've given us everything we have. So we honor you and we praise you and we thank you for Jesus, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, y'all.